1: Is Jericho, baby Talk is Jericho Talk is Jericho, mama Talk is me Welcome to Talk is Jericho It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll and get ready to laugh because Duff McKagan is bringing the funny with a patented Duff McKagan joke of the week Hey Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling Hope everybody's doing well there um, You know, two... Uh, robbers were robbing a liquor store and one of the robbers grabs a bottle of whiskey and he says to the other robber is this whiskey and uh, the other robber said yeah but not as whiskey as robbing a bank
2: thank you very good very much you guys have a good week you know
1: (laughs) Ah, that made me laugh two Fridays in a row thanks to Duff McKagan Duff is a very busy guy He and Guns and Roses are getting ready to headline the Welcome to Rockville Festival in May. And then they're hitting the road in Europe this summer. Go see them if you have a chance. And come see Fozzie. We are bringing the rock and roll straight to you. The Save the World Tour starts up again March 31st in Detroit, Rock City. Get your tickets at FozzyRock.com. We're crisscrossing the states, hitting Connecticut, New Hampshire, New York, New Jersey, Texas, Nevada, California, Colorado, Uh, you name it. We are going to be in your uh, state. So come check us out. And also check out our VIP meet and greet, which are legendary. We'll be doing those as well. We play a mini set for you, five songs. Uh, Some you won't hear later that night. Still tickets available. You get those at FozzyRock.com. And as we announced this week on the three days of Fozzy, three huge announcements. Uh, Number one was that Judas, the song, has gone gold. Uh, 500,000 units sold. Thank you so much to everybody who enjoys the song. And it's been very cool to... uh, Wow, to uh, uh, get a gold record. We're actually going through the designs of the gold record and figuring it out. and It's just been very, very, very cool to see the the development of that uh, and to see that we got the gold record. And then, of course, our new song, I Still Burn, is available now, streaming everywhere, Spotify, iTunes. Alexa, you name it, you can get it and check it out. Our new song, I Still Burn. And of course, big news coming up tomorrow talking about our new record. We can discuss that next week. All right, so lots of stuff going on. FozzyRock.com and Chris Jericho Cruz. to book a cabin on Chris Jericho's Rockin' Wrestling Rager at Sea, Four Leaf Clover. We're back, baby. Set in sail February 2nd, 2023. We've got a great lineup of talent joining us. For the first time ever, we're going to our own private island. Get all the details when you go to ChrisJerichoCruise.com. The huge pre-sale happened and a lot of cabins left. we still got cabins available. This is going to be a huge hit. We're going to sell this one out again after the triple whammy, which was just at the tail end of the pandemic. That was very successful, lots of fun, but the Four Leaf Clover is going to be even better. So go to chrisjericho.cruise.com. All right, today it's a mix of horror, true crime, and the paranormal. It's a deep dive into the real life events that were turned into the Amityville horror movie franchise. John and Jamie from the True Crime Cast podcast return today, and they've got the story about the DeFeo family murders that may have been the cause of all the scary hauntings and paranormal events that drove the Lutz family out of the Amityville house. After just 28 days, that's the Lutz family, not Lutz. I live in Lutz, Florida. We're talking about the Lutz family, spelled the same, pronounced differently. We'll get into the circumstances and details of the DeFeo family murders, which inspired the second Amityville movie. And we'll dig into what the Lutz family experienced after they moved into the house where the DeFeo family murders took place and compare that to what was shown in the original Amityville horror movie, which was almost a direct account of the Lutz family experiences. We'll talk about the Amityville movie franchise, what made the original movie so successful, and how they were able to get in the theater so quickly after the events unfolded. We'll share our take on some of the stuff that the Lutz family witnessed in the house and what we all think of the hauntings, and we'll also dig into what happened to both families after the unfortunate and tragic circumstances in their respective cases. It's horror meets hauntings, meets true crime, meets the paranormal, right here, right now, the Amityville Horror House, here on Talk is Jericho. Regular guests on the show now, Jamie and John from True Crime Cast. And we've had a a great relationship so far, talking about murderers and serial killers. So we thought we'd switch things around today and talk about something a little bit more uh, supernatural. A little bit more of a paranormal serial killer, if you you will. And also, too, one of uh, the biggest Hollywood legends, I think, for the last 45-odd years of course, talking about the the Little House in Amityville, aka the Amityville Horror, which is a very interesting topic. And how are you guys drawn to this as far as this kind of pop culture, legendary story? Yeah, well, our show is, of course, a crime show.
3: So we've talked before, there's no shortage of crimes out there to cover. Right. But this is such a cultural phenomenon. The fact that There was some factual murders that happened. There are actual details that are recorded in court records and such that led up to this story that we, over on our show, started doing research for the concrete, this is what actually happened. But it's so much more interesting to take a look at that and step back and say, how did this lead into the movies? And what do we really think about what happened after these murders took place? And was there a supernatural piece that that played
1: a role here? When you see, because I remember obviously being a kid and Amityville Horror was all over the place, and we'll discuss it in a bit. And I went to the theater to see Amityville 2, The Possession, and it might not hold up as well now, but at the time, it was the scariest thing I'd ever seen. And to this day, I still think, oh my gosh, this is a terrifying movie uh, because they told this story so creepily. And, and and like like I said, as a kid, it really freaked me out uh, before we delve into the actual facts, as you guys know them, how close were the movies to what actually happened?
2: Well, actually, we just watched the second one not too long ago, and it doesn't hold up. It is <laughs> it is not a great movie, but I could certainly see like it came out in the early eighties, and I think for the as a ten year
1: old, it would freak you out, right? Absolutely,
2: yeah. like there's no chance I would let my ten year old watch that movie. But yeah, it, there are some carryover from the movie, especially the first one, into what we're going to be talking about. Yeah, the second
3: movie is really supposed to be based on the actual murders, and it took so many liberties. It's not based on factual events as much as I think it was just, hey, let's make another scary movie about this house. But the original Amityville movie is pulled straight through the reports that came from the family that lived there. They said these things happened, and the movie they really didn't add a lot to their story, so... If you believe in what they said, then it was a factual film that was absolutely horrifying. I've watched both again recently. The first one still scares me.
1: Yeah, it's done in that very amazing way that only you could do in the 70s, where you're talking about The Omen and The Exorcist and Burnt Offerings and those sort of creepy kind of ghost possession stories. There was a certain, I don't know if charm is the word, but there was a certain vibe to them where it did freak you out to watch those films. And I'll say one more thing and I'll let you guys loose kind of on the, on the facts and figures of everything. We played a show in long Island, probably about 10 years ago. It was Fozzie and Jeff Tate, the former singer of Queensryche. Nice. This club was just down the street from the fateful house. The, uh, you know, I'll call it the Amityville horror house. Uh, Mm -hmm. you guys probably know the exact address and everything. And what I'll say though, is it's just on a street. It's not like a big compound in the middle of a, of a field or, or something, those lines. It's like house, house, Amityville, Horror House, 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 house. So yeah. it kind of put a little bit more of a suburban twinge on it. I was like, that's it? That's the house? It's still very creepy, but I was expecting it was this big kind of mansion in the middle of a country, you know, meadow, like I said. So it is a suburban area. So you've seen it in person. I have seen it in person, absolutely. And it was very creepy, but like I said, it kind of, blew my mind at how it was just nestled in this cul-de-sac or whatever the hell it was street.
3: Right. Yeah. Before we get into the details, I think the movie for me, like there aren't any big CGI monsters. There's not no small child who looks like she just got out of a bath with her long hair, walking backwards on her hands. Right. The scary things are voices and flies and, and blood and a furnace. Like it's stuff that really happens. But it just sure. on its ear. So that's why that one freaked me out so much. The second one got a little weird, but we'll get into that a little later. So
1: well, let, let, let's kind of start from the start then. So tell us about Amityville, the town in question. Yeah. So
3: the, the town, this original story, the Amityville horror movie was based on a real family that made these reports. They lived at 112 Ocean Avenue in Amityville, New York. Their names were George and Kathy Lutz. They are the ones that reported all the things we see in the first movie. But if we back up a little bit and take a look at Amityville itself and then the family that lived there before the Lutz, we get a better uh, context for what's actually happening here. Amityville was a very expensive place to live. This is like a, Al Capone had a house there. The old actor Will Rogers has, had a house there. There's a long list of former athletes and musicians that own homes at one time or another. Alec Baldwin. Was even born in Amityville, and we're not going to get into uh, his recent issues at all, but for now, we're going to talk about in this essentially affluent neighborhood where it is a suburb. It's house, house,
2: house. Right. What happened with this DeFeo family that led to all this notoriety? So I'll give you a little bit of information about the DeFeo family. They moved to Amityville from Brooklyn, New York in, in the 1970s. And the dad was named Ronald DeFeo. Now, he had made like a pretty successful living as a car salesman. And it's interesting, his dad was also a car salesman. So, he kind of followed in his dad's footsteps. Now, he and his wife, Louise, had five children. And that's really important. Ronald Jr., who went by Butch, was 23 years old. They had a daughter named Don. They had a younger daughter named Allison, who was 13. They had Mark, who was age 12, and John, who was age 9. And we know probably most about Butch. He was apparently bullied as a kid, which I feel like every time we get on the show to talk to you, it right. always starts with yeah. being bullied as a kid.
1: Totally, right. right?
2: But apparently, he wasn't just bullied at school, He, but he was. He was a bigger kid. He was a chunky kid. Kids, of course, are just relentless and ruthless, and they went after him for that. But he was also bullied at home, apparently by his dad, Ronnie. He was really hard on him. He was a, He was described as being domineering and abusive and butch acted out because of this probably because of everything that he was going through the abuse that he was suffering and everything that was going on at school and he had some pretty major psychological issues related to all this stuff
3: it's tough when you can't get a break from all the abuse it just keeps coming at you at school and at home his family tried to get him into counseling but it wasn't something that he really took seriously or tried to get into as we've discussed before, he got into drugs and alcohol to try to cope with what was going on in his life, but his behavior just kept getting worse. A little something to take the edge off is one thing. This is beyond what a couple of beers after a long day's work will do. He became a raging alcoholic. He became very involved in drugs. This is controversial in the in the family's approach. I feel like some families will be too hard on somebody. They're going to try to get you into counseling. But in efforts to turn Butch's life around, his family started pampering him. They tried to spoil him so that he would just be happy all the time. They gave him money, bought him a speedboat, gave him a job at the car dealership where he really didn't have to do anything except show up for half the day. And he used all this money to go out and buy an impressive gun collection. Now, if there's somebody who's having mental stability issues, the last thing I want them to have is a bunch of weapons. But that's what Butch did with this money. There were a couple stories about some things that he did with guns that weren't on the up and up. He apparently was hunting with his friend and and pointed a gun at him just because they were having an argument. And if you know anything about guns, the last thing you do is point it at somebody. Yeah unless you're ready to fire it.
2: I right. feel like even if you don't know a lot about guns, that's pretty self-explanatory. Don't put a point <laughs> yeah. gun at somebody unless you intend to kill them. Right. That's right.
1: That's right. Well,
3: he did apparently intend to kill his father at one point. He pointed a shotgun at his dad and pulled the trigger, mm. but the gun didn't go off. How do you come back from that? Like, how do you come back from, well, you tried to kill me. You, sh- you pointed a shotgun at me. You, sh- you pulled the trigger. Nothing happened. I don't know if we can like have a relationship anymore. That's,
1: huge. You literally had intent to murder me.
3: Yeah, and I don't I don't know how that I guess the relationship really didn't come back around after that, but one of the biggest things that he did to his family was before we get into the actual murders, when he was working at the car dealership, part of his job was to deposit the money at the end of every day. So he had about $20,000 and when those money bags you see people taking to the bank all the time, on his way to the bank, he faked a robbery with one of his friends, said he was robbed and then they split the money. Oh my gosh. And he got very defensive when police tried to accuse him of being involved in this, but everybody knew that he he did this. They called his dad down to the police station and when his dad confronted him with this and said, "I know that you stole our money." That's when Butch says, "I'm going to kill you, dad." And given he's already tried to shoot him, so I think you have to take this threat seriously. So h- how old is this kid? 23 years old at this time. And again, he's a he's a pudgy kid. He's been bullied a lot in the amityville to the possession he's a really good looking kid with a lot of things going for him that's not what we
0: really see in butch's life the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well So, set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. So,
1: as far as the movies goes, what we're talking about right here is kind of the original story of the... DeFeo family, is that the name? Yes. So the DeFeos, and just we'll continue to tell this story, but it's not really, spoiler alert, it's the DeFeo family that has these murders in the house that causes the benevolent spirits to appear in the quote-unquote Amityville Horror with the Lutz. Sorry, I live in Florida and right down (laughs) this, and the next kind of little area over is called Lutz. Oh. And when I first moved there, I was like, oh my gosh, this is just like the Amityville Horror. So I called it Lutz for the longest time. And I was it's Lutz, it's Lutz, it's Lutz. So if I call them the Lutz family by mistake, please forgive me, but you just need to convert everybody in Florida. Let (laughs) them know that it's really Lutz. (laughs) Exactly. So it's the DeFeos that then led to the problems for the Lutz family.
3: Absolutely. yeah. Yeah. They were in the house first and that's, What's portrayed under a different name
1: in Amityville Two, but we'll process the movie a little more later. Gotcha. And like you said, in Amityville Two, Ron, Ron Junior, Butch is the guy who, who is possessed by listening to his Walkman and all these other crazy things that happen yeah. to him. Gotcha. And you say in the movie he was a good-looking kid, but in real life he was not. Right.
2: Yeah, he was bullied a lot. Definitely, as a younger kid, he was considered like a husky kid, and he grew up to be fine, but definitely had some issues.
1: Well, yeah, how fine was he, right? So, okay, so let's continue on. So Butch is being is being bullied and he's trying to rip off his dad for $20,000. And wh- where do we go from there?
2: Yeah, like Jamie just said, he, he threatened to kill his dad in response to his dad, you know, coming down on him for stealing the money. And he acted on it. So in the early morning hours of November 13th, 1974, he took his dad at his word and he took action. He actually took a 35 caliber Martin rifle. So this is like a lever action rifle that you'd see like in a cowboy movie. Right. Right. So he took that into his parents' bedroom and he fired two shots into his dad and killed him on the spot. Oh my gosh. I would think that his beef is really with his dad that it would stop there. Right. But he kept on going. He, When this happened in his parents' bedroom, his mom woke up and in response, Bush shot her twice as well and it killed her. So now he's killed both his dad and his mom. But he didn't stop there. He actually went into his sister Allison's room and killed her with one shot. Then he walked down the hallway to the room where his brothers Mark and John stayed and killed both of them with one shot. Jeez. And then he went to his sister Allison's room and killed her with one shot. And then he went upstairs, and that's when he killed his older sister Don. And she was the only one with a gunshot wound to her head where the rest were shot in the back as they were laying face down on their pillows. Oh my gosh. This all took about 10 to 15 minutes to happen. And after it was all over, Butch took a shower. He gathered up his bloody clothes and the weapon and he left the house. He would later say that he disposed of everything in a storm drain. And then to act like nothing was wrong. He went on his daily routine. He actually arrived for work had the car dealership around 6 a.m. So he tried to pretend like nothing ever happened. He went on his way and and went to work. 6 a.m. is, I'm sure, the earliest he had ever showed up to work because he was known for
3: being a pretty lazy guy. Right. In order to cover himself, he started calling the house. Throughout the day, he would look around to all the other salesmen and say, man, I don't know where my dad is. He's not coming to work today. I'm going to call. So he called the house several times as if he didn't know what had happened. Around noon, he did leave the car dealership. And he went home after he had taken his girlfriend to the mall. So he's being social. He's acting like this is a normal day. Yeah. And then he finally gets to a bar called Henry's, which will come up later when we get to the Lutz family as well. He got in there about 6.30 PM the day after the murders. And he said, I need help. I think my mother and father are shot. So his friends take him to the house. They call the police and police go in and start finding bodies. And they come back out and say, yes, your mother and father are killed. And then Butch says, well, I also have siblings. Will you go check on them? And, of course, he's committed six murders here, killing the entire family with this rifle in brutal fashion. He first started trying to blame it on a guy named Louis Fellini that was a mobster. And he would allegedly stayed with the family for a while. And Butch's dad and Fellini had had a falling out, so he got kicked out. So he was, he's really trying to say, I had nothing to do with this. But within just a couple days, he started to crack and he finally confessed to these murders. The story was never really consistent about why he did it or how he did it. He tried to include Fellini, include his sister Dawn. All we really know is that Butch brutally murdered his entire family because he was mad at his dad. As far as we know, factually. Now, there are some other issues that he will claim later, but the murders themselves were also kind of odd. I mean, if you think about it, Chris. That kind of rifle in one house, how did he kill everybody in their sleep without them waking up?
2: Right. I actually have a very similar rifle made by the same manufacturer. It's a Marlin 3030, and it's just a little bit smaller caliber than the 35. You can hear this gun for up to a mile away. I'm going to call BS on all these kids sleeping through this. I think it's most likely that he shot his mom and dad, and then he made the other kids lay face down so they wouldn't be looking at him. And then he shot him in the back while they were laying down, I don't think they would have slept through this, even if it was at three or four o'clock in the morning.
1: Right. So, you know, once again, it, it's one of those things. and And we've talked about this before. You got a problem with your dad. And I understand kind of the frenzy, but killing your little brother, your little sister, all four of your, of your siblings. I'm not ruling out the fact that there was some kind of possession involved. You know what I mean? Like, None of this makes any sense, but it's the same way. And I always go back to, you know, the Chris Benoit situation where he kills his wife. And listen, you can't understand it, but you can, okay, the guy killed his wife. But then killing your own son as well, there has to be something different than just like, okay, I'm going to just kill this kid. I'm going to shoot all my brothers and sisters. I mean, obviously he's completely insane, but that just seems to go so far above and beyond what this guy was was doing That, you know, the Amityville two theory doesn't necessarily insult me.
3: Right. And as far as we know, Butch was always pretty protective of his younger siblings. We don't Exactly right. They had been abused somewhat as well. And it just seemed, yeah, there's no logic that holds for him killing the whole family.
2: I think there's more to this life than we fully understand. And I think we're pretentious if we pretend to fully understand it all. So I'm not ruling it out either, man. I, I think it's definitely a possibility. Yeah. Because he had a beef with his dad. Like, why not stop there? Right. And maybe I can understand his being upset with your mom for allowing this abuse to happen from your dad. But his siblings, man, that that's just where it gets too weird for me.
1: Right. Because your siblings would be on the same trip. You know what I mean? If your mom and dad are abusing you, it's not, I'm sure it's not just Butch. It's all the other kids as well. And we've seen this in several cases we've covered on our show where siblings do unite and
3: go out and kill their families and- and go away or an older sibling will try to protect his family by killing a father, but never following through with killing the siblings as well. So that does make this certainly unique and, and frightening in a lot of ways.
2: Something that always stood out to me when we researched this case was the difference in Dawn's death. She was the only sibling that was shot in the head and she was not found laying on her face. So when he was being questioned about this, he actually said that. She had a role in everything. He, he made up a couple of stories. One story he said was that he killed his parents, and then she killed the kids, and then he killed her in response to murdering his siblings. I don't know if I buy that or not, but it is kind of an interesting point to the story. He made up another story that he did all of it, and then he shot her by accident when she was trying to take the gun away. I don't really know that I believe that. I don't know the physics of wrestling for a gun and then ended up shooting somebody in the back of the head. I can't wrap my mind around that. There is some weird evidence regarding her death. Like she was found, there was actually blood and brain matter on her pillow and her bedclothes. But there was not any physical evidence like the blood or the brains that was on her headboard directly behind her, which would have definitely taken place if she was shot in the direction that you would expect to see. So it's kind of an odd circumstance there. So I think there's probably more to the story that we don't know, but I mean, it would all be speculation at this point.
3: It also bothers me a little bit that John's talking about brain matter being splattered around just like as calmly as we're talking about what we're having for lunch. I mean, it's my job.
2: (laughs) I'm a professional.
1: (laughs) So what happens next then, as far as with Ronald and and how does that transfer into what goes down with with the Lutz family?
3: So, yeah, Butch was arrested and he went on trial in October of 1975. Again, they had this is about a year after the murders took place. He's claiming insanity and the prosecution really didn't defend against the insanity plea. He was diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder. Like when I read that, I think, oh, somebody just doesn't like to be social. No, it's very much uh, sociopathic. And we talked about the drug and alcohol abuse. He did testify on the stand, though, that he was out of control and that the house made him do it, that the walls were talking to him mm. again, which ties into the the next story we get to. That said, He said the house repeatedly said to him, kill them all. And that was really the only thing that he claimed that happened that was supernatural. On November 21st, he was found guilty on all six counts of second degree murder. Really not sure why it wasn't first degree murder unless they actually believe that he was possessed in some way. So he had six consecutive life sentences. And that means that he would serve those back to back. So serve one life sentence and start another one after that. A lot of times judges will give you concurrent sentences where you serve them all at the same time, which I'm not a big fan of because that means you can potentially get out of prison. But the concurrent sentences means that he's going to spend the rest of his life in jail. And, All of his appeals have been denied. And as far as we know, he's still in prison. He's about
1: 68 years old in a a New York federal. Here's the thing. He passed away March 12th of this year. Okay, there you go. Uh, He passed away at the age of 69, like you said. We can talk about whether that's justice or
3: not. Uh, That's often what we cover on our show. But putting him away for the rest of his life is as much as you
0: could probably do. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed?
1: The question I want to ask is, is before we delve more into the Lutz family's issues, was this house built anywhere near some kind of area that could be possessed or something along those lines, a burial ground or anything like that that you know of? Well, I know
2: according to the second movie, it was built on an Indian burial ground. But I don't know. I think Jamie's doing some quick research, but I don't know if in real life it was actually built on anything that would be considered sacred or anything like
3: that. I've never found any actual evidence to say that it was. And and like you mentioned, it's not like it's out in the middle of nowhere. The other houses would have been built there as well. Right. So. Right. We don't have the haunting issues in those other houses. I think the movie added that because at that time that was a very popular. This is why you're being haunted scenario. But now, as far as we know, there was nothing like that. The second movie also portrayed like a tunnel in the basement that where the evil came from. So uh, as far as we know, there is no reason to identify this being haunted unless you're the Lutz family. And then if you think that a murder has taken place, six murders in this house, I may be a little worried to move into that. I've been wanting to ask you this, Chris, if you found a house you loved and wanted to live in. But you knew that there had been six people murdered in it a year beforehand. You're going to move into
2: that house? Yeah, exactly. I don't think I would. So what's the transition to the Lutz family then? All right. So in December of 1975, that's when the Lutz family moved into the infamous 112 Ocean Avenue there in Amityville. And like Jamie said, they, they got it for a steal. They paid $80,000 for this five-bedroom, three-and-a-half-bath house in a very, very nice neighborhood. Wow, right, And I know like $80,000 in 75, that's a lot of money, but it definitely could have been more had there not been six murders in the house. So George and Kathy Lutz, they were kind of a newly married couple at the time and they wanted to raise their three kids in this house. So they heard what happened in the home and they brought in a priest to the house to bless the house. And now there's their story goes that when the priest entered a certain room in the home, The priest got nauseated and that he actually heard an audible, deep voice say to him, get out. Wow. And I think that's when I would have just been like, you know, house is going back on the market and we're taking the kids and going down the road. But they reported all kinds of stuff. They reported some of the rooms just kept flies in the rooms all the time. And as soon as they would kill them and get all the flies out, a new swarm would appear. They also claimed to witness levitating objects in the house. And their garage door would just randomly go up and down for no reason. And I remember in the second movie, there's a there's a scene where the rifle is levitating. So I think that's a direct tie in to what the Lutz uh, family mentioned here. But yeah, levitating objects, swarms of flies, garage door acting kind of weird. If any of this is true, I'm out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's like that old Eddie Murphy bit. You know what I mean? Like, get out. And like, okay, I'm gone. Why am I staying here? You know, yeah. you have to tell
3: me twice. And then these things are all portrayed in the, the original film. And that's what got to me. The flies really got to me. I don't know why. I mean, it's not like CGI flies are flying all over these people or they're claiming this this voice that you hear get out like it's so eerie to me. But right. I want to talk later about how much of this we believe. Okay. But Let's talk a little bit more about the family. So they were married and Kathy was the one that brought the kids to relationship. She had three of them. Her oldest son, Daniel, claimed that he had opened a window and he was kind of just holding his hands on the windowsill looking out and that the window randomly shut on his hands, crushing his fingers. Now, this is also portrayed in the movie, but in the movie, they take him to the doctor. They're relieved to find out there are no broken bones. But what they actually reported was that they went into their kitchen and started bandaging them up and they felt like there was a presence that came into the room And immediately, they watched his fingers that were crushed return to their original form. Again, this is the claim directly from the Lutz family. Daniel would say, and he was just eight at the time, he would say that every night at 3.15 a.m., something would happen in the house. He called that the devil's number, 3.15. We see that in the movies as well. So he felt like there was a presence or a window opening or the garage or something levitating at 3.15 every day. Jeez. Something else we see in the movie is the black ooze. It comes out a lot from the toilets and sinks in the movie, but the Lutz family claim that it came from cracks in the floor. It came out of keyholes out from under doors. So there's just this black ooze, this goo coming out of the house. And I mean, this wasn't a new construction. It's not settling in. So to them, this is just another factor of what the hell is going on. Now, George was a pretty hateful guy anyway, And he had married into this big family. They bought this expensive house they could barely afford because it was in such a nice neighborhood. But the longer they were there, the more of a monster he became. And his obsession, like in the movie, was the furnace in the home. There are several cold spots in the house that people often attribute to supernatural beings or spirits. So he spent all of his time cutting wood, loading the furnace. I have to get my house warm. I have to get rid of these colds. Right, He was obsessed with it. During this time in the house, and they were only there for 28 days, he lost 25 pounds because he spent so much time chopping wood, which is wonderful exercise, and then loading the furnace and sweating all that weight out. So he lost a ton of weight, had a big physical impact
1: on his being just being in the house for less than a month. It's amazing because all that stuff is depicted in in the, in the movie, and like I said, you know the fact that that wasn't exaggerated at all, it makes it even creepier. Like you mentioned, it, he was obsessed with the, with the wood, and I remember that and the fire and not being cold, and it's almost like Richard Dreyfus in in uh, Close Encounters of a Third Kind, obsessed with building the the devil's yeah. mountain or whatever the hell it was. So he was affected by something going on, and the flies really freaks me out too. Yeah, and there's no real explanation for that. Uh, uh, scientific explanation, shall we say?
3: Not for them to continue to come. There was no like notable garbage or uh, something that flies would feed on. They were just everywhere.
2: My brain went to like did blood or anything go down into the floorboards that we couldn't physically see, and then they were attracted to that smell, like a dead right a dead like animal, a decaying in a field. body.
3: Right, yeah. right, 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 right. Yeah, that would be a rational explanation, but I don't think it explains the ongoing
1: presence of the flies. It's just so freaky to me. So what other trials and tribulations did they, did they suffer? Because like you mentioned, okay, we were kind of laughing how we would get out. Well, 28 days is not very long. So they did get out, you know? Yeah, there's, there's definitely some more.
2: So let's talk about George for a minute. He would actually spend time hanging out at a local bar called Henry's. And if you remember, that's where Butch DeFeo spent some time. Now, the locals that frequented the bar would often comment about George was starting to look like Butch. So he'd completely let himself go. He wasn't shaving or grooming anymore. And he started to look like Butch, which is totally weird to me. Really?
3: That also came up in the movie. In the movie, he's in series and somebody approaches him and said, hey, were you related to the
2: family that used to live there? You look just like them. George grew to become like a very angry person. And it was often directed at his wife, Kathy many would say that Kathy appeared to have aged several years in the short 28 days that she lived in that home. So, wow. Like he lost 25 pounds. She turned into an old lady. Like you can physically see the change in their appearance.
1: Now, have you guys dealt with any possession? uh, I'll say possession, you know, style stories before, is this something that happens to people that are kind of exposed to this type of thing?
3: I will say that literally while John was just talking, something fell off the wall. So <laughs>
1: I peed a little. I'll tell you what, when I was supposed to come in here, like I said, I'm in London right now and my uh the, the hotel key wouldn't work. So I went down, got another one. It wouldn't work again. They had to come up and replace the battery on the uh, hotel room door. When have you ever heard of that? That's weird, man.
2: The thing that fell off my wall has been there for like eight months, never moved, and it all of a sudden moved without anybody touching it. So,
1: Well, the the good news is the shots of whiskey that Jamie had enabled him to talk better. Uh, his voice sounds great. So at least we got that going for us.
2: Yeah,
3: Chris, I appreciate that tip. I feel awesome right now. We can talk all day.
2: <laughs> well, and the news, my house is for sale, Chris, if you're interested in a rental in Kentucky.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed?
1: So George, George and is, what's his wife's name? Kathy. Kathy, or, or feeling these effects. How many kids do they have? And are the kids suffering from anything at all?
2: Yeah, so they had three kids, and their youngest one was Missy. And Missy, she claimed that she had a friend named Jody that looked like a large pig and had red eyes. Right. And she often talked about Jody and referenced it being around. Like, you know, I know kids have imaginary friends sometimes, but that is like, a demon pig, if I've ever heard of one Sure. It's really weird. And she described it as Jody
3: talking about the family that used to live there and the little boy who used to stay in the room that got killed. So it's like she's getting knowledge from this demon pig about things that she shouldn't know. She's
2: knowing things about the DeFeo family that she's never been told. So, again, chills a little bit. And it wasn't like she was the only one to see it. There was a story that one time the family went outside and they looked up at what would be Missy's window and they saw a pig-like figure in the window. So it was referenced by her, but then also saw by the family at least once. And then, yeah, like like we said, they could only take it 28 days, and then they were out of there.
1: Was there uh, the straw that broke the camel's back sort of thing to make them leave, or just a culmination of everything? Or Yeah, it seemed like there was one night when things just got
3: really heated, and they were getting to the point where— it was nonstop. The flies would not stop. The goo would not stop. What's the goo again? Where, where, and where's the goo at? It was coming out of keyholes. It was coming out of Jeez. cracks in the floor. And that's real. That was really happening. That was their claim. And people came in after the that they moved out as they started telling these stories. People said, yeah, there were some there were some weird things happening there. In the movie, I think it was coming out of faucets and and the toilet, but it's a black sludge that had no business being there. Once they moved out, they sold their story to an author named Jay Anson. And anytime somebody's propping off a story, I'm a little bit skeptical, but he ended up writing a novel that, again, turned into all these movies. He claimed that he wrote this to be a real nonfiction story. He interviewed the family several times as a family and individually, and he claimed that he felt their testimony was backed up by things they found in the house enough to where he could say this was a nonfiction book. But it almost makes sense for him to claim that all this came true because he made a lot of money. But the family didn't necessarily, from all of this, from selling the rights to their story, they made $300,000, which that's a lot of money. But it's not retire for the rest of your life money. So it's not like they got rich off of the story, but they never, ever backed down from it. They never recanted in any way. They did a series of interviews with a lot of media folks defending themselves. They passed lie detector tests. And even in recent years, Daniel, the eight-year-old who got his fingers crushed, uh, was in a documentary called My Amityville Horror, where he continued to double down on, yes, all of this happened. Now, the attorney of Butch DeFeo, again, he's still, he was imprisoned at the time for killing his whole family. He said that the Lutz family came to him and said, hey, back us up on this so we can make money off of this book. And he said they claimed to him that they were making it up, but I don't know that I'm going to trust a guy who just killed his whole family. So at that point, who do you trust? Is he trying to make some money off his story? It's hard to tell both Kathy and Georgia passed away at this point, but neither them or any of the kids have ever, ever said, yeah, we made that up. And I think there's something to be said for that. Not a lot of people go to their grave with all their secrets.
1: Quick, quick uh, question for you. Do you have any idea if if there's two boys, right? If either of the boys lives in las vegas i'm not sure about that do you know a lutz that lives in las vegas well no we did a signing uh, or i did a signing in vegas probably about three four years ago it's since talk is jericho has started and there was a guy there who was claiming to be and somebody else said this is whatever lutz it is and the guy was like, he wanted to do talk as Jericho. He had written a book or something, and then he did, and then I never saw him again. And we there was kind of a little bit of a conversation about having this guy do talk as Jericho about the experiences. So I, I didn't know maybe, and who knows? He could. Like, this seems like kind of a random thing to claim to be. So I'm assuming that he kind of. Probably was telling the truth in some way, shape, or form. So, there you go. One of the guys might live in Vegas. <laughs> it's
2: funny when you do a podcast about serial killers. Like we've had a, a daughter of a very famous serial killer reach out to us and want to talk about her story of growing up. With right. You. you run into some interesting people doing what we do. <laughs> so. yeah,
3: exactly. Exactly. Well, John gave her our address to
2: send us a book. So,
3: <laughs>
1: well, that's good job, that list, So <laughs> I'm good now.
2: The new folks have to deal with that crap. <laughs> I got to deal with the demon in my basement, apparently.
1: Well, yeah, exactly. And the the the, the haunted hotel that uh, messes up room key cards. So what happens after that then? Because it seems like the book came out, and then the movie was was piggybacked right afterwards. Yeah, they
2: ended up making like we've talked about earlier the the Amityville Horror to the possession, and that was really a loose prequel to the first movie instead of the DeFeo family. It was another family, so it was kind of loosely based on everything that happened before the Lutz family moved in. I mean, like you said, for the time, it was a it was a really good movie. I watched it recently, and I don't think it held up, but I think it's worth watching for sure. Two, the yeah, sex- the second yeah, one. There's a
3: lot of freaky stuff in there, like face distortion when he's in the middle of the possession, and there's some incest involved. Yeah, yeah. there that was rough to look at, and then there was the uh, there was an attempted exorcism. And in that movie, like, I feel like the first one, part of the creepiness, it was based solely off their story. Like I said, it was accurate compared to what the Lutz family said. But there would be lulls of, hey, look at this family, and then something crazy happens. And then a lull, and then something crazy happens. Right. The second one was just like crazy, 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 which made it more entertaining and I think probably more scary at the time. But when the first movie came out, it was just 1979. So – the murders happened in 1974. So I imagine production on a movie is going to take a couple of years. This was fast-tracked into theaters. So to me, it's kind of shocking that the production value at the time and the longevity of this film kind of lasted considering how quickly it was made. And then the second one came out in 1982, just three years after that. So right. A lot of people trying to make money off of the story. And a lot of people did make a lot of money. And then we could talk about, if you'd like, the uh, 2005 remake with Ryan Reynolds that's uh, on your list.
1: Well, yeah, let's let's go back to this, though, because now it seems that, you know, we could probably find this out very quickly. The Amityville Horror, the movie, was a huge hit because, like I said, I believe it was 1979, which is right around the same time frame as I mentioned, you know, Omen, Omen 2, all of that stuff that's going to Exorcist 2. And it says here that it grossed $86 million off a $4.7 million budget. So you know it is a huge, huge hit. And for whatever reason, that late 70s was kind of a plum, magical, glory days for these types of movies. And then suddenly everyone knows what the Amityville, where it is, what the horror is. It has become part of the pop culture lexicon right out of the gate. Do you guys have any idea why it struck? so huge at that point in time?
2: Man, I think from the beginning of time, people love true crime. You know, that's why we, I think our podcasts are successful and sure, yours as well. When you can take what actually happened in real life and then put that supernatural spin on it, it's money, man. <laughs> you know, when you told me those numbers, I couldn't believe that the, the Lutz family only made 300,000 off their stories because i thought that would have blown up compared to the 87 million that the movies made that's crazy they
1: might have sold their rights though you never know right three hundred thousand dollars sounded good at the time but if they sold away everything that they you know any connection they had well that's how it works they needed a better agent i think it was a perfect (laughs) you're right
3: it was in the wheelhouse of all these horror movies are being made they're really popular and to be able to tell this extreme one and to say this is based on real reports which The Exorcist is too, and we could get into that another time if you like. But to say this is based on real reports, I think anytime I'm watching anything, if somebody says that, I become a little bit more invested. And I want to go, I mean, of course, I have Google now. I'm going to go do my own research. Like, how legit is this? But at the time, for people to be able to say, this is legitimate. And I also think that was a different time religiously in our country, where most people were much more conservative than they are now. So for a film to come out that shows actual demonic activity, I think would have piqued the interest of a lot of people interested in that spiritual realm. So I think the, the timing piece and combining that with the fact that it was based off real reports from a family and an actual house in an actual town made it that much more appealing.
1: There's a um, quick story here as we're kind of researching, as we talk that James Brolin played George Lutz, the Lutz, and he was hesitant to do the movie because the script was unfinished. So he started reading the book and he was reading it at two o'clock in the morning. And earlier in the night, he had hung up a pair of his pants in the room. And during an especially tense passage of the book, the pants fell to the floor and Brolin jumped from his chair in fright. It was then that he decided to do the film convinced that the material would make an effective movie. So there you go. <laughs> I will
3: say another piece of what bothered, where what was effective about the film. I think was the change in his demeanor throughout the film. It's kind of like Breaking Bad, right? Walter White was a big sure. nerd, and then by the end of it, he's this big crime boss. You could see the toll that this house was taking on Brolin
1: throughout the film, and that made it even more real. So, and in the movie, he even doesn't he attempt to kill his family at one point as well? So he, yeah, he is going full on uh, Heisenberg there. We've covered so many cases on True Crime Cast,
2: and we've joked off the air about it, it's kind of bothered your producer a little bit, like some of the stuff we talk about. We can record. I go about my day. It means nothing. But when we researched this case and we talked about it, I did not sleep well at night because it's such a messed up story.
3: This is the only one that's ever caused me to have nightmares in our four years, 250 episodes.
2: The failed murders kept me up at night. We recorded it late at night. And when I came home, I just could not settle down. I did not sleep well the night we recorded it. And I vividly remember an awful night's sleep after we recorded that one.
0: The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So, set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
1: Going back to kind of the influence of Amityville Horror and Pop Culture, Amityville won. Then we had Amityville 2, The Possession. Amityville 3D, Amityville 4, The Amityville Curse, Amityville It's About Time, Amityville A New Generation, Amityville Dollhouse, The Amityville Horror 2005, and then Amityville The Awakening 2017. So they have been making these movies now, if you go from 79 to 2017 for 40 odd years. And there has been 10 of them at least. So there is definitely. It is now part of like a Friday the 13th or Halloween. You know, every few years they pump out an Amityville horror movie. I think a lot of it has to do with the name Amityville. When you hear that, you think Amityville horror. It's one of the best named movies of all time because it right off the bat connects you with this story.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And we mentioned some of the famous people that live there. And you have to wonder what that reputation does for that affluent area, right? Like, does it draw more people? Does it push people away? There have been several people who've lived in this house since the Lutz family and nobody's ever claimed to see anything that really no other claims whatsoever since the Lutz family left. Wow. That's interesting. But I don't know what that says about their experience. Maybe their experience was the the peak of it. And when they left, they took the, the evil with them or, or what have you. But yeah, that area, I, I, I would love to see how that's impacted traffic. I mean, obviously you went out of your way to go look at the house. But are people willing to live in that neighborhood now? Are they more excited to live in that neighborhood now? It is a name that automatically you can't say the word Amityville without getting a
1: little squeamish, I think. People do like that sort of thing. And I'm sure anytime that house goes up for sale, there probably is a little bit of a, of a interest in, in, in buying it because of that. And, and that's, you know, w- once again… When I had Andrea Perron on Talk Is Jericho, uh, she was one of the daughters that's in The Conjuring. You know, she's now a grown lady, obviously. And you guys know this as well. It's not the house that is haunted; it's the people. Yeah, the ghost kind of, as crazy as it sounds, attaches itself to you. So wh- wherever you go is where the issue starts. So the Lutzes could have moved out and maybe took the possession and curse with them who's to say right yeah they didn't
3: like we said they didn't make a ton of money off this george and Kathy ended up getting divorced and their kids scattered across the country they didn't really report other haunting type issues but i don't think any of their lives turned out as if they had hoped so i think there is something to what you're
2: saying about it following people instead of being about the physical location That terrifies me because in this particular house, I mean, we just mentioned the thing that fell off the wall behind me. But when I first moved in, we had a huge mirror that fell off the wall at like six o'clock in the morning when I was reading my Bible. I'm going to move out. And the mirror didn't break.
3: That's the important piece. The mirror
1: did not shatter as it should have. Exactly. And and we mentioned the, the Ryan Reynolds joint from 2005. Another huge hit, $20 million budget and made $110 million. For anybody that's listening, any Hollywood movie, if you double the budget, that means that you've made a profit because they got to do the advertising and that stuff. So you're talking, they invested $40 million, made $110 million off it. Still, I would say solely because of the legend of the Amityville Horror. Yeah,
3: exactly. I think you're right. The the first movie, like you mentioned, James Brolin, the second movie had Pauly from the Rocky movies, Uncle Pauly. Yes. He, he was the dad in those movies. And then. It's miserable. He, he was a very good, hateful old man that beat his kids. He oh, I hated movie, him. Maybe a little too well. And then how many of these have you seen? I've seen one, two, and the Ryan Reynolds remake. I never got into the Amityville 3D or the others, but I
1: imagine that's a lot of the same stuff, which is still really creepy. Well, I mean, Hollywood gets involved. And like you said, when they can smell money, then they just start pumping out the the sequels and the remakes and all that sort of thing, which, which is fine. But once again, this is based on a true story where all of these things really did happen. And that is something different from all the others. You know, there has never been a, a, a Halloween, you know, uh, uh, Michael Myers stalking the streets or, you know, uh, American Werewolf in London, American Werewolf in Paris, American Werewolf in Sheboygan. Like all these movies that have eight or nine sequels are fantasy based. This one is based in pure truth, which then makes it stand out uh, from everything else. It certainly does. And we didn't, for our podcast, we don't have a
3: ton of opportunities to expand into pop culture but this is one of those scenarios where we thought this is where it meets the rubber meets the road for us and i'm thrilled that we've been able to to do the research and make all these connections with the case same time i'm i'm not anxious to go out and watch those films again no i'm done with scary movies i don't you. know as i get older they get <laughs> suffer for me i know you seem to love them chris you have lots of talk as jericho episodes about scary movies
1: and you seem to watch them all the time well, I do, but like I said, like Amityville Two, when I was a kid, freaked me out, and I know I think I've watched it since a couple times, and each as I get older, each time I watch it, I get less and less freaked out by it. Let me ask you this: as we start to wind down here, uh, what are your thoughts on these hauntings? You know, once again, all of us are very knowledgeable, not just from a movie standpoint, but from talking with other paranormal affected guests and you know, even a little bit of the true crime and all that sort of thing. What are your thoughts? And and was something evil happening in in this house, both for the DeFeo family and the Lutz family?
2: I would be apprehensive to read the comments after my next statement, but I believe we live in a world where we only see the tip of the iceberg. I think there are things that we do not have access to see, and thank God that we can't, in my opinion. I'm not dismissing it. I think it's very possible that we want to say this guy had mental health issues. Well, maybe there was something supernatural happening inside of him and around him that led to all these things happening. So I definitely think it's plausible. I think there's more to this world than we'll ever know. I agree. You asked earlier if we've seen this in other cases, and it
3: does come up with folks that are claiming insanity. We talked about it with uh, the guy you grew up with, Rob Chalk. He claimed that he thought he was a god and that kind of thing. So right, people claim supernatural events often when their backs against the wall. But when does it make sense? When is it a situation where it doesn't pay off? And I feel like this is one of those situations where they walked away from the home. They let the bank take it back. They took a huge financial loss on this home. They didn't even get their stuff out of the house when they left. I, I agree with John. I feel like there is a spiritual side to life that we don't understand. I feel like there's enough documentation out there for whether you want to call them possessions or just spiritual happenings where people are being impacted by that realm that I I, I certainly think it's possible. And I think this is one of the more likely scenarios to where I can say, you know what? They didn't really benefit from the story. So I'm more likely to believe it.
1: Yeah. What gets me once again, uh, there's the two different stories here and the Butch DeFeo, Uh, Ron Jr., like I mentioned to you earlier, the the kind of this killing frenzy of murdering your own siblings to where if, like we said, if your dad was just this horrible person, and even if you said, well, screw it, I'm going to kill mom too because she allowed it to happen, even though she would be a victim as well. The fact he went completely crazy and killed his four brothers and sisters, that's where I, I say something is not right here. There could be just blind rage and just pure madness, and that's fine. But usually I find, you know, not that I'm an expert, but he would have probably shot himself afterwards. You know, it just seems very strange to me that he would shoot all four of his basically innocent siblings where we're all in this together instead of killing the parents and going, we're free. I'm going to jail, but you guys can go on and live your life without this tyrant beating you down constantly if that was the case
3: yeah that makes sense. And if it is a blind rage situation, like he waited till they were all asleep. This happened between three thirty and four in the morning. It's not like there was an incident that he instantly reacted to. So this was something that was planned out in calm. so I don't I think that dismisses the blind rage theory and points even more in the spiritual direction as
2: well. We see it unfortunately all the time with domestic violence situations that you'll have a murder suicide because you immediately feel so guilty of what you've done. and I kind of agree with you, Chris. You would think that after you killed your entire family, you would just turn on yourself, too. It's an interesting case for sure.
1: He took a shower and went to the car sales uh, dealership. Yep. Right. So so he, he's kind of in his right mind at that point. So other question is, what do we think about the Lutz situation? Because all of these things that happen, and like like we said, if you want to see a documentation of it, just go watch the Amityville Horror 1978 and most of the things that happened, with I think the exception of falling into a pit of goo in the basement yeah. and you know trying to axe murder his kids, but a lot of these things—the the flies and the and the the demonic imaginary pig and and the being obsessed with keeping warm—there's something to that too. Where I think there's some otherworldly things going on.
2: I think the thing that that stands out to me is that they actually took lie detectors tests and and passed those. So. I listened to another podcast with a guy who has done these lie detector tests for 30 years, and it's really hard to pass those. So for two people to pass them and not be lying about it, I think it's pretty probable that they were telling some element of the truth with their story. But I am a little apprehensive just because they made money off their story. Right. I don't know. I'm straddling the fence. (laughs) Yeah. For
3: me, I don't put as much stock into the actual results of lie detector tests, but the fact that they were willing to take it means a lot to me. And it's not like they got filthy rich. They got enough to divorce and move away. So to me, it wasn't enough of a payoff for them to make this up. There was no secret confession of we made all this up. There was no recantation of the kids when they got older. The kids are still digging their heels in. So to me, I feel like a lot of these things, and you're right, the the movie matched probably 80% of their claims. It's hard for me to say that none of it happened. Maybe not all of it happened, but there were so many little pieces that If you're going to make up a story about a haunting, why are we going to throw in a demon pig in addition to just chills in a room? Like the story doesn't make sense if you're just coming up with it on your own.
1: Well, like you said, there hasn't been any activity there for years. I have seen it myself. If you guys want to go check it out, it is at uh, 112 Ocean Avenue in Amityville, New York, which is uh, in Long Island, the south shore of Long Island. You can go drive by it if you guys are looking for a haunted location for something fun to check out. And like I said, it'll blow your mind because there's, you know, 110 Ocean Avenue, then there's 112 Ocean Avenue, that's the house, and then 114 Ocean Avenue. It is just in a suburban area, Uh, but it is, murders happened in this house and, and horrific things happened. So maybe it's all been cleaned and exercised for now, but if it ever comes up for sale and if you guys... You know, Jamie and John, you guys want to go with thirds on it. Let's go spend a couple nights in there and see what happens. Let's make it happen. I'm all in on that. Bring bring the whiskey, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: I got
2: you. I got, I got some left. <laughs>
1: Thank you, guys. Always a pleasure. And I look forward to uh, what you guys come up with next because it's always a blast. Thanks again, man. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Cheers, guys. Thank you.